You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Take your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter number 7, please. Luke chapter number 7. And uh, all that does is just prove it's true. It's Jesus for rainy days, and Jesus for sunny days, and Jesus for good days, and Jesus for bad days, Jesus on high times, and Jesus in low times. He's all that you need. He's always the answer. And I'm glad we have it. Amen. I'm glad we have him. Luke chapter number 7. And I had another message prepared to preach this morning, but God began to work on my heart late in the week. And on Friday, uh, I began to study and prepare. And God led me to preach this this morning. And I'll preach the other message tonight that I'm planning to preach in the morning. But I believe this message will be a help to us. And I hope it will be. I pray it will be. It's been a help to me. And uh, if we could just live the songs that we've sung this morning. Man, we'd have it made. If you would just live out, if I would just live out what, those, what the ladies, the trio sang, uh, we wouldn't have so much pressure, discouragement, despair. If we could live out what Brother Martinez just sang, it'd be all right. If we live out the truth of the song. And uh, let's stand quickly. Luke chapter number 7. We'll read verse 18 through verse number 23 this morning. And for the context of the chapter, Jesus has been doing amazing things. And by the way, that's just what Jesus does. He's been doing amazing things. Jesus has healed the servant of a, of a centurion. He didn't even have to go there. He just said it's done because of the man's great faith. He goes to a town called Nain and interrupts a funeral service. And by the way, Jesus is bad at making you know, dead things living and just bad about that. Every time he went to a funeral, that's just what happened. He ruined a funeral. Every time he showed up, that which was dead began to live again. And uh, I hope he'll show up here this morning. Say amen right there. But that dead boy lived again. The disciples of John have witnessed this. And man, they're stirred up about it. John the Baptist is in prison. He's the man that said, Behold the Lamb of God. He's the man who baptized the Word made flesh. He got to be a witness to the Trinity. God the Father speaking. God the Holy Ghost descending like a dove. And God the Son right there in the river. He preached all over the countryside, declared, uh, make his way straight. The Lord is coming. But now he's in prison. Verse number 18, and the disciples of John showed him all these things, all these things Jesus had done. And John calling unto him two of his disciples sent them to Jesus saying, Art thou he that should come or look before another? When the men were come unto him, they said, John Baptist hath sent us unto thee saying, Art thou he that should come or look before another? And in the same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he whosoever should not be offended in me. I want to draw your attention to the question that John the Baptist asks of his disciples he said, I want you to go and talk to Jesus. And would you just ask him, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Wait a minute. You're the one who told us it was him. You've been preaching about him to the whole world. What are you talking about? You're the man who put your finger on the snout of Herod and called out his sin. And now because of his circumstance, because of his placement, 
because his expectation of God didn't measure up to God's plan for his life. He doubts. I'm not sure if that's him or not. Now, he didn't lose faith in God, but he lost faith in God. You say, what do you mean? He didn't lose faith in the fact God's alive. He just lost faith in the activity of God. For a little while this morning, I want to preach on this thought. There's no need to doubt him now. There's no need to doubt him now. Let's pray. God, I need your power, and I pray you'd help our people. God, I pray for that more than anything, that you'd help somebody this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. For all practical purposes, I believe it'd be safe to say this crowd is predominantly made up of people who believe that God is real. We don't battle doubt when it comes to that fact. This isn't the crowd that believes in a big catastrophe that started everything. We don't think that we came out of nowhere, pulled out of somewhere, and now nobody can explain how that happened. We're not the crowd that visits the zoo for our family reunions. Amen right there. We don't admire Uncle Orangutan or Aunt Chimpanzee as they eat their bananas and swing from branches. B.R. Lakin used to say, we don't pray our father which art in a coconut tree swinging by thy tail. We're not the crowd that's been overeducated to the point of complete ignorance when say that our beautiful world is one of the happiest accidents that has ever occurred. It's amazing to me how the academic elitist would tell you a painting cannot just happen, or a building cannot just happen, or a symphony cannot just happen, or a baby cannot just happen, yet they would call you and I crazy because we don't believe this world could just happen. And let me hit this in passing. What's that make someone who would send their young person to one of those institutions to be trained by people like that? No sane person believes that order comes out of disorder. We don't believe that that which is animate comes from the inanimate. We don't believe that matter is derived out of antimatter. We don't put faith in a big bang, a big boom, a big blunder, or a big black hole. We believe in a big holy God that in the beginning created all that is. Now, the majority of us here would agree without question there's a God who resides in heaven. One day he'll reign on earth, and he's the reason for all that you can see and all that you cannot see. We could say it like this. We all have faith in the existence of God. We believe God is. But though we believe that God is, I want to ask you this. You have faith in God that he is. But how's your faith in what God is doing in your life right now? We have faith that God can sculpt galaxies from nothing. But do you have faith that God can guide your next step? We have faith that God can pull mountains up out of the dust of the ground but you have faith that God can put food on your table tomorrow. We have faith that God created every beast in the field, every bird in the sky, and all the fish in the sea. But do we have faith enough to believe that God is aware of us and God will care for our needs? The truth of God's a wonderful truth, but does our faith remain as strong when we change the subject from faith in God's being to having faith in what God is doing? I was meditating on this in my own life, and I've got to be honest with you. I think I've concluded it is far easier for me to have faith in God's existence than it is at times to have faith in what God is up to in my life. I don't hesitate this morning to declare I have faith in Genesis 1. I believe it's true. I don't ask any questions about it. I believe in God. But I do sometimes have trouble with what God is providentially doing in my life. I guess I could say it like this, at least for me. Often I have faith in God and doubt in God at the same time. 
and don't look at me sideways, you have the same problem. I have total faith God is on his throne. I have total faith God created this world. I have total faith God saved my soul. I have total faith one day I'll be in heaven. But at times, my total faith shares residency in the same heart with fear and trepidation and doubt about what God is doing in my family, maybe in our church, in our county, or in our country, or in this generation. Now, I don't have to bring news articles to the pulpit from around our state. I don't have to read you the headlines from our world. We don't have to go visit the ICU unit this morning to remind ourselves life is uncertain and life in this world is difficult. Things change so fast. There are so many decisions that we're called upon to make. Things can fall apart so easily. I was in a store the other day and I saw a t-shirt that said, life is easy. Whoever designed that shirt ought to get the Liar of the Millennium Award and then run for president after they get the award. Life is not easy, life is hard. And it's even harder when you understand this, we're supposed to live by faith and not by sight. Faith is total dependence. Faith is utter reliance. Faith is total trust. Faith is stepping out with no reservation. Faith believes without seeing. Faith believes without understanding. Faith believes without knowing. And today I can say this and I think it's true. I have 100% faith in God, but at the same time, I battle frustration and the weakness of my flesh and often I doubt in that very same God. In Philippians 4, 6, my Bible says, be careful for nothing. That means you're not supposed to worry your way through life. But the truth of it is this, all of us worry. Now fear is the antithesis of faith. Doubt is the antithesis of faith. But the danger is this, though the two are not compatible, they can cohabitate in the heart of a believer. Peter exemplified that. Peter was a man of great faith except when he wasn't. Peter had great faith in God. Peter stepped out of the boat, and then he sank, and he doubted. Peter cut off a man's ear, and then he denied the Lord. Peter wanted to charge hell with a, a water pistol filled with kerosene, except for when the fact Jesus hadn't shown up, and then he backslid and went fishing. And here's the problem. He exemplified the truth that all of his faith, he had faith in God, never wavered. He knew God was real, but he had doubt in what God was doing in his life. Job did that. Job was a man who walked with God, loved God, hated evil, a perfect man, a just man, and he never once doubted the fact that his Redeemer lived. But you better believe he questioned what the Redeemer was doing in his life when he buried his children and his life was seemingly falling apart. Thomas is that way. Thomas was a preacher, a soul winner, a witness, a miracle worker alongside of Jesus, but he's known for his doubt. And here's the truth. You and I have to watch this. We can say, I have faith in God, and then immediately say, I don't have faith in God, and it be true. Here's what I'm saying. It is more than possible, it happens to all of us, to possess great faith in God and yet great doubt over what God is doing at the same time. We sing the song, I'm living by faith and feel so alarmed. No, so it's to be no alarmed. If you and I are gonna live a victorious Christian life in this world, you have to anchor your faith in God. Now listen, I don't mean re-anchor your faith in God and the fact that he exists. We don't have trouble with that. 
But I'm talking about taking that same measure of faith you've placed in God for your eternity and trust Him with your today and your tomorrow. You've got to have faith in God, not just when it comes to salvation. You have to have faith in God when it comes to finances. You have to have faith in God when it comes to family. You have to have faith in God when it comes to your physical being. You have to have faith in God when it comes to your life's decisions. You have to have faith in God when it comes to what's happening in our country. Faith is the victory that overcomes this world. Faith is the victory that can overcome fear. Faith is the victory that can overcome frustration. Faith is the victory that can overcome doubt. Faith is the victory that can overcome despair. And I don't believe anyone here would recant faith in God. We believe God is. We're concrete on that. That's just all there is to it. But can I say often, I do struggle when it comes to faith in what God is doing in my life. I believe God is alive and well up there. And that never changes. But sometimes I wonder what in the world is God doing down here? I've signed my name to a declaration of faith and tell you God's real. But there's days when my hand would tremble, my wrist would quake, when I have to sign my name on the dotted line saying God is real in what he's doing in my life right now. How many Christians are there? They believe God, they have faith in God. But when the preacher preaches on the fact that God can guide your steps through life and their life is a mess, their faith in God sometimes goes into doubt. They believe God and the preacher preaches God can restore your prodigal son and they believe God for other things but they have doubt in that area because they have a prodigal son. I mean, they believe God. They believe God can heal but when it's their family afflicted with some disease or malady, then their fear overtakes their faith. They doubt a little bit. I don't know if God can heal in my family. It's easy to have faith in God that he can answer prayer until it's you that's prayed and prayed and prayed and the answer has not come and here's what we do we say God's in control with our spirit and then our flesh says I don't know if God's in control or not my life doesn't seem like it's in control I don't know and when God doesn't measure up to what your expectation of God was all of a sudden you begin to doubt and fear and get frustrated and backslide I just don't know if God is in control things happen that you don't plan we don't plan disease. We don't plan a broken heart. We don't plan persecution. We didn't plan a pandemic. We didn't plan to be widowed. You didn't plan to bury a baby. You didn't plan to fail in the ministry. You didn't plan to hop from job to job. You didn't plan to lose your savings. You didn't plan to have a friend forsake you. You didn't plan to trust someone and let them get close and then have them hurt you. You didn't plan life like that. David didn't plan Absalom and Hezekiah didn't plan his sickness. And you find out Job didn't plan to bury his children. And when those things creep in, into our life, it overwhelms us and can cause us to doubt. It's easy to believe God, but it's harder to have that same measure of faith in God's plan when His plan doesn't match your expectation. And there it is at the same time in the same heart can live these two things that cannot, cannot mix, but they can cohabitate. Fear and faith. Faith and doubt. And let me say this, boy, we want a baby, but God's never given us one. And you doubt. I wanted that job and God didn't give it to me. And you doubt. I just wanted to live a happy life and God's made my life hard, it seems, and you doubt. I just wanted to be healthy and we're always sick. And you begin to doubt. 
I want to be successful. And it seems like my life is failing. And all of a sudden, those seeds of doubt begin to blossom and flourish in your heart. Let me say this, and the songs alluded to it, God has never been anything but faithful. God has never been unfaithful. Would you hear me? God has never been unfaithful. God has never been unfaithful. God has always come through. God has always made a way. God has always gotten the victory. God has always come out on top. But sometimes our flesh and our fickle spirit We'll look at what God is doing in our life and doubt creeps in. Here's what my heart is this morning. Would you take that same measure of faith that you put in God for your eternity and put it in your day-to-day walk with God? Would you take that same faith that you're trusting God for for heaven and say, maybe God can guide my steps today. Don't be a practicing atheist. Don't be a practicing atheist and professing Christian. Don't say, I believe God and then live like there is no God. Circumstances don't determine God. Problems don't determine God. My dilemma doesn't determine God. God is always faithful. No matter what you're facing or going through, there's no need to doubt him now. Let me hurry and get to the point. One of my favorite Bible personalities is John the Baptist. Now, I don't get too crazy with this title, but I do like the fact he wasn't ashamed of it. John the Baptist was an Old Testament to New Testament golf spanner. He's a man that was fashioned like an Old Testament prophet. But his ministry cut the red ribbon on the New Testament. From the womb, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He worshiped before he was born. Think about that. The Bible says John uh, was a man sent from God. God ordained John to be the forerunner of Christ. He was a man that called Israel to repentance. He was sent to make crooked hearts straight. John the Baptist was peculiar. John the Baptist was peculiar in his calling. He was peculiar in his clothing. He was peculiar in his convictions. He was peculiar in his combustion. Sounds like a good preacher to me. John the Baptist wasn't some silky smooth orator. He was a spiritual wrecking ball that God used to swing into the wall of dead formalism. John the Baptist is a witness. John the Baptist is a voice. John the Baptist is the New Testament Elijah. Jesus said, when you think about John the Baptist, he said, there's no man born among women greater than that man. John was a man's man. He wasn't a reed shaken by the wind. He didn't step on the scene surveying his community. He didn't come shaking hands or kissing babies. He didn't try to politic to open in prayer at the city council meeting. John the Baptist came preaching. He preached of wrath to come. He laid the acts of truth to the root of Compromise. John the Baptist called his generation a generation of vipers. Most preachers took the long route around sin, but John cut a shortcut right to the heart of sin. I like John. John was zealous. John was active. He was a fireball. He had great faith in God. God used John to decrease himself and to lift up Jesus Christ. Now, if you were to go to John early in his ministry and you're trying to talk to John, it'd probably be hard to have a conversation with him. For one reason, he probably wouldn't hold still long enough to have a conversation. But number two, he'd probably interrupt every couple words you said by saying this, God's on his throne. He'd interrupt, God is in control. He'd interrupt, we're on the winning side. In fact, it's John that got to announce to the world for the first time that Jesus was the Lamb of God that come to take away the sins of the world. His heart was so full of faith in God. He preached with faith in God. He witnessed with faith in God. He prayed with faith in God. His faith gave him boldness and zeal made him stand with steel running down his spine. He was courageous, full of faith in God. He's a a case study in the fact that God directs your steps. God delights in you when you follow him. God will provide for your life. And John had great faith in God. 
I love to read about his life. When we come to our text, John's in prison. John's in prison because he wouldn't swallow his tongue and quit preaching against sin. Now there's a scandal in the palace. I'm sure it was the talk of the town back then because it's always the talk of the town today. So here's the dirt, and now everybody's tuning in. Herod Antipas had taken his sister-in-law to be his wife. They're living together in the palace. Now, probably there were some that thought, that's okay. I mean, we're not, we're not hiring a preacher. We're voting for a president. Uh-oh, say amen right there. Surely he didn't need morals to lead a nation. I mean, if the California governor doesn't need them, <coughs> and if Bill Clinton didn't need them, surely Herod doesn't need them. I mean, culture accepted it and Rome accepted it, but what I like is the prophet just couldn't accept it. Maybe John could bite his tongue and sheath his sword and just hush his mouth, but that's not what he did. John was too called by God not to call out sin. He couldn't act ignorant of iniquity, whether it was in the back alley or in the palace. And I like John. He takes his long bony finger up with honey dripping off the end, got a locust leg still twitching from between his teeth. And he lays his finger on the snout of Herod and his harlot there and said, hey, it's not lawful for you to have her. I thought about that. I wonder what America might look like if every so-called God preached so-called uh, so God-called preacher will get in their pulpit and call sin on the carpet and say shame on the devil and lift up Jesus on Sunday morning. I love John the Baptist. He has such great faith in God. But because of his faith, he gets put in prison. Now John's in prison. Think of this. He's not standing in the waist-deep waters of Jordan. He's not looking on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not preaching to crowds of disciples. He's alone, he's locked up, his schedule has changed. So much of this is personal preaching, I'm thinking as I'm preaching this. His schedule has changed, his freedom is gone, his life has taken a turn he had not anticipated. Can you imagine how hard that'd be for a man that's a fireball? He's used to preaching the big crowds. He's used to being a maverick. He's used to having his freedom. He's used to being the encourager. He's used to action. I was reading through this in Luke 7, and every time I study this portion of the Bible or one of the parallel accounts, it convicts me of my own weakness. Because here I see a great man of faith who is simultaneously a man of great fear. Jesus has been raising the dead. Jesus has been healing the lame. Jesus has been curing the sick. The disciples of John have watched Jesus do all of these things, and somehow they get access to John, and I can see they're all stirred up, man. Jesus is doing great things, but that's easy to enjoy when chains aren't on your wrist, and you're not isolated in a prison, and they run up to John and say, John, Jesus has been doing this, that, and the other great things he hath done. And John, you think he'd preach a sermon. Let me tell you, he's the Lamb of God. Let me tell you, he's on the throne. That's the guy a little bit ago. He's on the, I'm on the winning side. But that's not what he does. He looks at those men that he had converted to follow the Lord and said, man, fellas, I tell you what, because of where I'm at in life, because of what I'm going through, because of my emotions and how I feel, I got to ask you, would you go to Jesus and just see if you can get some clarification? I got to know, is he the one or is he not the one? Is he really the Messiah or is he not the Messiah? Now listen, that don't take it out on John. That's still a great man of faith. But can I say a great man of faith can also be a great man of doubt at the same time. That's the same fireball. That's the same zealot. That's the same man of conviction. But his circumstances in life cause him to doubt. He says, go back to Jesus. Ask him, is he the Lamb of God? Confirm that he's the Messiah. Just say, Jesus, John wants to know, are you really the Son of God? Wait a minute. 
How's that possible? That's the guy that told everybody else he was the son of God. What are you talking about? Where's the fireball now? Where's the zealot now? Where's that great man of faith now? Not long before, John had told the world, that's Jesus. And now John found himself in a place he'd never been before. He didn't lose his faith in God, but he lost faith for a moment in what God was doing in his life. In the same heart, there was great faith and great trepidation. You ever felt like that? Great faith and great fear in the same heart. Great faith and great doubt. John's supposed to be the servant of the Lord. He's supposed to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He's supposed to see King Jesus come and retake the throne of David. He's not supposed to be in prison. God wasn't measuring up to John's expectation of what he thought God should be doing in his life. And here's what happened. It caused him to doubt. He hadn't sinned. He hadn't compromised. He hadn't forsaken God. But God didn't meet his expectation. He'd had faith in God and lived it out. But John, who had great faith in God, also had great uncertainty. Now, here's what I want to say. It is dangerous when you and I allow the flipped to script in our heart and we forget the fact God is not here to do our bidding. But we've been created for His purpose. Doubt is 100% flesh. Faith is 100% spirit. But here's what often happens. When hurt comes into our life, it blossoms into doubt. When disappointment comes in, it blossoms into doubt. When confusion comes in, it blossoms into doubt. When shock or heartache or anger enters in, it'll blossom into this doubt. Pain, letdowns, tragedy, all in the same heart. There resides this garden of faith and this garden of doubt. Good circumstances do not make God God. Hello, everybody with me. Happy days don't make God God. Uh, feeling blessed is not what makes God God. Having everything work out the way you planned it does not make God God. God is God regardless. And God is good regardless. God was God when John was filled with the Holy Ghost in the womb of his mother. God was God when John worshipped in the belly. God was God when John began to preach in the Judean wilderness. God was God whenever he ate locusts and wild honey. God was God when he bought a three-piece camel hair suit. He was God. God was God whenever John baptized. Jesus in the river Jordan. God was God when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. God was God when the feathers from the dove of the Holy Ghost fell and floated down the river Jordan around John. And God was God whenever John was crying out against the sin of his day. God was God when he stood there before Herod. And God was still God whenever John was wrapped in chains and in a prison cell. The circumstances did not make God God or cease to make God God. God was God regardless of his circumstances. So let me apply it. I fear we preach of God in the wrong way, or at least I do. Here's what we say, come to Jesus. Do you have mental health problems? Then come to Jesus and he'll fix them. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. It's not up to you to decide that. It's up to him to decide that. Come to Jesus, you have financial problems, he can meet your every need. He might, but your need might not be what you think it is. It's not up for you to decide what you need. Say amen right there. Just come to Jesus. You're having marital problems? Come to Jesus. He'll fix it. He might. He might not. He knows what you need. Say amen right there. We sort of put Jesus out there as you come to Jesus, and it's like the candy machine at the mall. You just put in the right amount and, get, and flip the lever, and you'll get what you want out of it. That's not true. God is not here. He doesn't exist for you. We exist for Him. 
Now that's easy preaching to John, but that's hard living for us. And maybe you're here today and you feel like you're in John's shoes. I think we all probably feel that way. And you believe in God and nothing will ever change the fact you believe in God, but you're having a hard time believing in God for what he's doing in your life. Maybe you're wondering, is God really in control? Are his promises true? Will he really make a way? Does he really know what he's doing? And in your heart are those two incompatible forces of faith and doubt. Doubt always hits us, not in victory, not on the mountain, but in those low points of life. But I want to encourage you that God has been faithful. God is faithful. God will forever be faithful. And God's being faithful is not contingent on you feeling like he is. He abideth faithful. And I know your heart's like mine. And you have great faith in God. But can I say we also battle this doubt in God. Child of God, let me say, there's no need to doubt him now. What cause do you have to doubt God now? What grounds do you have to doubt God now? What reason do you have to question or doubt God now? You take me to an example where God has been unfaithful in your life. You can't do it. We can stay here from now till eternity. And not a one of your eyes could come and say, here's where God failed. He never fails and he never will fail. But failure or success is not the same as my want or my dream or my desire. It's God's dream, God's want and God's desire. And those two things might not match up. They might not match up. So here's what Jesus says, John, you go back and tell him, by the way, he said, in the meantime, while John's waiting in prison, let me heal some more folks just to remind them. Let me cure some more sick people just to remind them. Let me raise the dead just to remind them that I'm, I'm the same as man as I've always been. I'm still God. He said, you go back and tell him I am he. Tell him what you saw. Tell him what you heard. Remind John what's going on. And then he said in verse 23, blessed is he who serves not be offended in me. He said, and you remind him of this. John, don't you get upset with what I'm doing in your life. Don't you get bitter over what I'm doing in your life. John, you'll be blessed if you'll just go ahead and let your faith rest in the fact I was in control and I am right now. Church, can I tell you something? Don't you get bitter at what God's doing in your life. Don't you get mad at God for God doing all things well in your life. I know we question because we're flesh and we have a weakness there. But can I say, blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in what God is doing in your life. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Listen, Paul didn't plant a thorn. Jacob didn't plant a limp. John didn't plant prison. But God planned it all. You don't plan the circumstance. And you don't plan the problem. And you don't plan the hard time. And that's because you're not on the planning committee. You're on the welcoming committee. My job isn't to plan it out. My job is to welcome Jesus when he comes back. Say amen right there. Circumstances don't change God. Problems don't change God. I don't know why some people are healthy and some people are sick. I don't know why some people are wealthy and some people are poor. I don't know why some people have a family and other people go through life alone. I don't know why some parents bury children and others see their children grow to old age. I don't know why. But I know God's in control. I remember, and I'll close, a personal illustration. And we, I've used this before. My wife is okay with me using it. But we were married 10 years before we had a baby. That's a long time to be in the ministry without children. Because Baptist people are so nosy. <laughs> and they want to know, do you not like kids? Are you, and I think not if they grow up and be like you, you know. It's the last thing I want, one of you and another one of you. <clears throat> We, we, we got married young. I, she, was, she was 12 and I was 13 or something like that. It was young. 
But uh, we were young. I think I was, how old was I? 22 and she was 19. I don't counsel people to do that. It worked out for us somehow. But we thought, everybody everybody kept saying, wait a while before you have kids. Wait a while. Enjoy each other. I thought, that sounds good to me. We didn't have any money anyway. I quit my job to go in the ministry. So we waited. And then we got old, you know, like 24. <clears throat> we thought, boy, we better have some kids because every church I go preach in wants to know why, you know, you're an evangelist, missionary, pastor, you got to have like 30. And they, you know, they all have to dress in burlap sacks and look like the Walton family. They all have to play an instrument and quote 50 books of the Bible, wear denim jumpers down to the floor. You know, that's just, but anyway, some of you are laughing because you know that's true. We thought, well, let's have kids. Let's have a, let's have a baby. So we, it, didn't, it didn't work for us. And uh, my wife has an issue. She's talked to ladies about it a lot, and it, it kept her from being able to, to get pregnant. Every, and I've talked about this year before, every Baptist witch doctor woman in the tr- world tried to help us, Miss Treeper. <laughs> I'm surprised we haven't got help since we've been here, honestly. But they tried to give us essential oil. I mean, any, you can just name it. Smoke marijuana. I mean, whatever. <laughs> that didn't help. Get the, all the, that probably would help our marriage, though, honestly. <laughs> if we both did, not just you, Des. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> we tried everything. We didn't have any money. We, we didn't have any insurance, but we were able, because of our income, to get it taken care of. But anyway, we went to a specialist and things, and... She took shots and all these different things. It got to the last point where it's going to be very expensive to try to have a, a baby. Man, we wanted one because we're thinking we're in the will of God. We're trying to preach and serve God. And then kids go out on prom night, get drunk in the back of a car and accidentally, quote unquote, have a baby and then abort the thing. You better believe you question God in times like that. Why can't we have one? You wonder. I was preaching in Florida and I'd been gone from home for a couple of weeks, I think. And I didn't know this, but she was pregnant and hadn't told me. And I was in Florida preaching, and I, was, it was a, I think it was a Monday night, or it was either Monday or Tuesday. I was getting ready in the afternoon. And she called me, and she was going to wait till I came home to tell me that she'd been pregnant. You know how girls plan that kind of stuff or whatever. And so I, she's going to wait till I came home. And she called me. And automatically I thought something was wrong because she don't ever call me. <laughs> anyway, she, uh, she, she, she called me, and I thought, what in the world? And I remember this, like it was yesterday, I answered the phone and said, hello. And she, her voice was sort of whimpery. And she said, hey. And I said, what's going on? She said, I'm in the parking lot at, of the church. I said, well, okay. She goes, I just left the hospital. I said, are you okay? She said, I'm fine. She said, I wanted to tell you when you came home. She said, I'm pregnant or I've been pregnant. And I said, man, amen. We've been praying for that. I mean, I was excited. She said, but this morning I woke up and something was wrong. And she said, I went to the hospital. And she said, I lost that baby. I don't think I've ever felt pain like that before. In heaven, Lincoln has a little, uh, God knew you couldn't handle two of those, you know. In fact, Lincoln's middle name is birth control. That's the last one we want. But somewhere in, in heaven right now is another little Cooper kid running around in heaven. Baby died. Man, I, that hurt. I remember the first person I called was my mom. Isn't that funny how you just do that? Man, I just wept on the phone. I said, Mom, and she wept with me. I called a couple of preachers that I was close with and talked to them. Man, I doubted God. 
I mean, it hurt. People laying babies in dumpsters in San Jose. I had to preach that night. I had to make a decision to go in that church and say, you know what, here's what happened to us. Or I just went in there and acted like I'd won a million dollars. And I went in there and acted like I'd won a million dollars that day and just preached. But can I say, well, I was preaching to them, have faith in God. I was filled with doubt. Sure, sure. Now, I had faith that God was real. But I sure was questioning what in the world He was doing in our life. I think Noah might have done that. I'd say Abraham probably did that. I'm sure Isaac and Joseph and Jeremiah all had their moments. In fact, I know they did. Job did that. But can I say this morning, God is not God contingent upon what He's doing in your life. God is God because He's God. And if you can trust Him with forever, surely you can trust Him with right now. So here's my message. There is no need to doubt Him now. He's not given us cause nor reason. So let's just go on in faith. Now we didn't plan what we're going through. We don't plan anything like that for our life. We want it to be good. But God is good regardless. Come what may, just simply trust Him. Don't doubt Him. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.